Welcome to Positive Disintegration Podcast. This is episode 10, Nature, Spirit and Disintegration. Welcome back, happy listeners, to another episode of Positive Disintegration, Framework for Becoming Your Authentic Self. I'm Emma Nicholson, and with me today is co-host Dr. Chris Wells. Hi, Chris. How are you going? Hi, Emma. I'm doing well, thanks. How about you? I'm doing excellent. It's good to be here, back with another guest today. That's right. I'm excited to have our guest today with us. We met in 2018 at the Dombrowski Congress in Naperville, Illinois, and I think he's going to be a great guest. Cool. Excellent. Well, our guest today is Eric Windhorst. Uh, Eric is a counsellor, coach and psychotherapist committed to helping others connect with their inner nature, so there's their true authentic selves, and their outer nature, so the wider, more than human world. He specialises in working with individuals who identify as created, gifted, intense and highly sensitive. Welcome onto the podcast, Eric. Yeah, yeah thanks for uh, the warm welcome, Emma, and uh, nice to be with you again, Chris. It feels feels like 2018 was uh, was somewhat of a lifetime ago, quite frankly. But uh, it's good to hear your voice again. I know. I feel the same way. It does seem like it was a lifetime ago. But yeah, it's great to hear your voice again too. Hmm. I've heard you on other podcasts, and that is why I thought you would be a great guest on ours. And so I'm looking forward to hearing about your work and your connection with Dabrowski's theory and positive disintegration today. Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to sharing. Great. Well, and that's kind of the the way that we've been starting the podcast is asking, you know, how did you first learn about Dabrowski's theory? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and I was kind of rocking my memory as to where, yeah, where I kind of first came across Dabrowski. Uh, in 2019, I, I completed my PhD where I was exploring uh, how gifted adults experience ecological self. So a sense of self that's, uh, you know, wide, expansive, um, you know, connected to nature, connected to the cosmos, somewhat mystical and, and yeah, kind of cosmic in scope. And as part of that, as part of that research, I was really delving into the eco-psychology research. And so eco-psychology is a field, uh, it's relatively, relatively new. It's been around for uh, a few decades, at least in its modern form. And eco-psychology seeks to understand you know, humans in nature and the human nature relationship uh, through ecological and psychological principles. And so as part of that research, I, uh, I came across a book uh, by Joanna Macy and Molly Brown. Uh, and the book is Coming Back to Life, uh, an updated guide to the work that reconnects. And so that was about like eight years ago or so. Uh, and they actually referred to Dabrowski in that book uh, as a way of understanding what's happening uh, society or culturally, at least from like a Western kind of uh, mindset. So looking at the climate crisis, looking at, uh, you know, increasing kind of societal instability and dysfunction and using Dabrowski to kind of understand how as things are kind of fragmenting and disintegrating and, and, and falling apart, there's also a potential that things can come together in a new, uh, ideally healthier and more functional form. Uh, and I was really struck by Dabrowski's idea. Um, and, and then I started kind of racking my brain and looking back at my own life history and how 
this idea of looking at something which for all intents and purposes often looks like a psychological crisis uh, or a societal crisis for that matter, but seeing it through a lens that I find to be a, a much more hopeful uh, and much more, uh, well, quite frankly, positive, looking for the opportunity to, to not see pathology, but to see potential. So yeah, so I first came across it probably about eight years ago. Um, and then as I continued in my PhD research, I was interested in combining some eco-psychological ideas, eco-therapeutic ideas with Dabrowski's theory. So in 2017, I wrote a paper uh, uniting inner nature with outer nature, uh, gifted adult development and eco-therapy. And in that paper, I kind of, I kind of dovetailed together uh, Dabrowski's ideas with how nature, how having a relationship with nature, being connected consciously with nature might help a person uh, you know, go through a disintegrative period and come out the other side in a positive sense, in a reformed and healthier sense. So that's kind of, that, that was kind of how I uh, kind of first got uh, interested in theory. Actually, that paper is in the same volume of advanced development that my paper on the inner experience of giftedness is in. Well, cool. I'm going to have to look up that book that you mentioned, because that's very interesting. I'm always looking for more about Dabrowski at you know, the societal level or beyond the individual, because obviously, I mean, it's pretty clear that we go through positive disintegration at levels beyond just the individual. Yeah, and, and I believe it's, it's a very helpful conceptual framework to make sense of things and to see things again, when we can see things through the lens of possibility and hope, rather than through this lens of, of a pure pathology or just looking purely at, at the more pathological or negative views of things. Um, I think on, on various levels that opens up possibilities for, for growth and, and positive change. Do you feel that approaching it from a societal perspective first made a kind of difference in the way you understand the theory or the way you write about it? Because most mm. people come across this from a personal experience perspective, maybe if they're trying to deal with their own disintegration or maybe they come to it through overexcitability. So do you think that sure. initial lens that you had kind of makes a difference between what you do and what others do with the theory? Uh, first of all, that's a really uh, good and interesting question. Um, and as we were talking, uh, where my kind of my intuition or my mind went was, no, there's a there's a sense of like, I don't know, I kind of feel I kind of feel the theory of positive disintegration. So whether it's happening at a, you know, a higher level or a larger scale or at a, a lower level, or at more of the individual scale, it feels like a very similar phenomena to me. I don't, I don't think coming at it from, from kind of the, the, you know, the higher level substantially affected the way that I kind of understand the theory or, or work with the theory or write about the theory. It just feels, it just feels right. Yeah, it's just interesting how sometimes things just intuitively feel right, that this, this idea is pointing at something fundamental, fundamentally true, I would say, quite frankly, about the, about the nature of, of the nature of reality and the way that growth and change happens, whether we're looking at the natural world, whether we're looking at societal structures and, and the more human constructs, or if we're looking at the, you know, the depth psyche of an individual person, there's something about this theory which points to um, what to me feels like just something fundamental about the structures of, of reality. Which kind of speaks to the integrity of the theory a little, because if you can shift its applicability and it still feels as true, um, that sort of tallies with 
I think what a lot of people have said on this podcast that they they come across it and it just feels right. <laughs> you know yes. what you're saying about that sort of essential truth to it. Yes, and, and there, there, there's that intuitive kind of bodily kind of feeling, um, and it's interesting, like just t- tying this already kind of together with with some of my work uh, with nature. Like if we think about the body as as such an intimate tie and i mean i'm kind of splitting us up into you know body mind spirits but for the sake of argument it's like the body and our resonance with ideas or our resonance with other people or our resonance uh with natural places there's something about tuning in that when we feel that kind of resonance with them there's it's, it's like a tuning fork of truth and as much as you know we can analyze the theory kind of conceptually or intellectually which is which is important and and, and valid of course for me, it always comes back to no. This, this, there's something about this which it feels kind of inescapable. So, Eric, tell us about your personal experience of positive disintegration, if you don't mind. I'm gonna, I guess, kind of tell my story right from the beginning a little bit, um, and how looking at, I would say, particularly two major periods of my life, and how theory of positive disintegration, looking at it through that lens, makes so much sense. And quite frankly, looking at it through that lens and looking at the more hopeful side of very painful experiences probably saved my life, quite frankly. So starting kind of right at the get-go, like I kind of possess a lot of those raw ingredients uh, typically talked about when looking at people who have, you know, who who kind of resonate with the theory of positive disintegration or have, you know, quote unquote, advanced developmental potential. I have overexcitabilities, particularly in the emotional, imaginational realm. There's those kind of, you know, I have, you know, for lack of a better word, kind of there's, there's gifted traits and a certain level of intelligence. And then I have this kind of inner drive, you know, that third factor, this, this drive to, to kind of be my own person and figure out who I am in this world. Although that drive, and as I get into my story a little bit, was very much stunted by my environment for the first, you know, quarter or so of my life. So a little bit about me. Um, so I'm the younger of two siblings. Uh, and my older sister, Liz, uh, is a super gifted writer. She's, a, she's an amazing person. And I grew up in a pretty conservative uh, environment in a variety of ways. So politically conservative, uh, very Christian, uh, and kind of, I belonged to this Dutch Christian Reformed Church and went to this Dutch Christian school, relatively monocultural, you know, everything from, from religion to sociodemographics there was a lot of commonality and a lot of, you know, quite simple and bland in a lot of ways too. The answers were very simple to life questions. Um, And there very rarely felt like there was any space to explore beyond the scope of that environment. So very early on, uh, and this is, you know, one of the the capacities I developed was I, I learned how to fit into environments uh, in order to, you know, psychologically survive, even though those environments were too small for me. So I had to kind of cut off pieces of myself, contort pieces of myself in order to fit in. I didn't necessarily consciously do that all the time. It was somewhat unconscious at times, but it's something I learned to do because there just wasn't space uh, for my wholeness. So fast forward a bit uh, to a massive family trauma I went through at age 15. Uh, it shattered my heart. Yeah, I, I had to numb. I had to numb my emotions. I was, I was so sensitive and I had such a deep feeler, but I had to numb my emotions to survive. And I further kind of developed this, this adaptation, this outer shell in order to navigate the world. But there was one exception 
there was one exceptional place for me where I felt like I could be myself. Uh, and that was a greenhouse that I worked at. Uh, so at about age 16, I, I got a job at a local family run greenhouse. And it was, there was something about being around the plants and it was just so quiet and peaceful. And I just felt kind of upheld. I felt supported. Uh, I can even just imagine myself now when I would go in, I'd be, I'd be, you know, spending hours just watering plants, kind of going through this methodical kind of ritual. And there was just something so nourishing about it. As I was tending to these plants, I really felt like they were tending to me. Um, I wasn't fully consciously aware that, that this was happening at the time. As I, as I look back, I just see like I was being held. I was being held by something outside of my family outside of my faith, outside of all of these other aspects of my life. It was the one place where I felt safe. But nevertheless, I, I was still pretty numb internally, and um, I was quite lost, you know, without access to my feeling life. How can I navigate the world? How can I make life decisions? How can I decide what is really important to me? So I went through a bit of a teenage rebellion, uh, as, as many of us do, kind of got in with with some relatively kind of rough crowds and, and into some drugs, but there was still nowhere that I could go. Like, so to put it in kind of like Dabrowski's terms, like it was kind of movement from level one to level two, but I didn't have any resources around me or wasn't conscious of these resources to that, that I could go, that there could be something more. I just kind of had to come back to the same old community. Even when I would challenge, uh, challenge my faith or, ch or challenge leaders in my church at times. And so one example of this is uh, we had a thing called catechism class, which is basically getting trained, uh, young people getting trained in kind of the theory and concepts of our particular denomination. I remember sitting in, in, in that class and we were reading through, um, through this catechism book, which was published back in, uh, back in the, the 16th century. Uh, and the first question and answer, as the book is kind of formatted, was, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer is, uh, or the answer given is that I'm not my own, but I belong body and soul to Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. And it goes on and on. And I couldn't, it just didn't make any sense to me. It's like, how is that my only comfort in life and in death? Is it like, I don't belong to myself. Like, that's, that, it just sounded absurd to me. And, and I raised that question, but I wish it was shut down. There was no room for dialogue. I was seen as a troublemaker and because of my, my strong sensitivity and ability to kind of read environments, I just, I said, okay, like, okay, there's no place for this. I'm going to, I'm going to shut down that rebellion, which I now see as actually like a healthy kind of tension with, um, you know, wrestling with environments that are too constricting. So somehow I managed to kind of continue coping um, age 19 or 20. I, uh, I developed a lot of internal tension and anxiety um, I was really struggling to, to function as I was graduating high school. And there still wasn't anything that provided me with like an existential buttressing to, to hold me up. I actually became even more religious at that time. And I was, it, it was this like ironic kind of catch 22 as I was looking to my, my faith and my, and my religion for comfort. Well, at the same time, that very comfort was constricting me away from being the person that I was. So somewhere in there, I went to university. Um, I met the person who is now my, my partner, uh, which was a very interesting experience in and of itself, because when I met her, something within me tuned in, like that kind of felt bodily resonance, like that person is the one for you. It was like this one moment during this whole phase of my life where I kind of made a decision that was actually in tune with my authentic nature. At age 25, 
I went through what I now see as a massive positive disintegration. So I had been holding things together for about 10 years since that family trauma. Um, and it was the birth of my daughter, Natalie, that really just blew, blew everything to pieces. She, so Natalie kind of just rushed into the world. Uh, we had midwives uh, up here in Canada. We had a couple of midwives. We were going to have a home. Uh, we were going to have a hospital birth. But we went to the hospital. They said, basically, like, things are not moving along too quickly. Go back home and, you know, check back in in the morning. Well, in the middle of the night, uh, my wife entered um, active labor. We called the midwives. They came and checked everything. And basically, uh, they said, like, there's no time to go to the hospital. This, this, this baby's coming. I mean, that itself was its own, was its own form of disintegration for me. Um, uh, I would call it a bit of a minor trauma, quite frankly, the whole birthing process. So Natalie came into the world, and I was the first person that got to hold her. I held her against my bare chest, and I, could, I just felt like this person sees me. She, she can see beneath. I, I just felt like completely exposed by her energy. Um, and that's what precipitated this kind of this, this crisis internally of like, okay, I can't, like, who am I? I can't continue on this way, and I can't pass this, this lostness onto my daughter. Like, that's just not fair. So I managed to kind of hold things together for a few more months, but my symptoms just got kind of worse and worse. I was struggling with, you know, significant amounts of anxiety and, and entering into kind of a deep depression. And it reached a point where I couldn't work anymore. I couldn't function. I, di I didn't really know where to look for help. And uh, my sister actually pointed me, uh, pointed me to a local therapist uh, who happened to have a Jungian, uh, a Jungian orientation. Yeah, with a lot of kind of fear and, and trembling, quite frankly, uh, I went to go see him. You know, what I, I guess now from like a clinical perspective, I was dealing with like, you know, debilitating anxiety and major depression. And yet when I was sitting in the room with, with my Jungian uh, therapist, he looked at me through the eyes, I think that Dabrowski looked at people. So rather than seeing, you know, this person who needs to get medicated, let's, you know, let's do some, you know, CBT or some other kinds of therapy and, you know, and, and you know, buttress you back up and, and get back out there and functioning into life. He saw what was happening to me as, as kind of like a fundamental breaking down of my self-structure. And he introduced me to Jungian ideas, the idea of individuation. And he pointed out that like sometimes anxiety and, and depression can, can actually be caused by having a gulf between your, your ego self or your conscious self and the truth about who you are, the deeper self or the authentic self or the inner nature. And again, something inside of me is just like, it's just like, yeah, that feels right. That's what's happening here. So in my work uh, with my therapist, uh, with my therapist, Brian, we looked at my dreams and I started to have dreams. Like I never, I never really dreamed that much before. And I started having these vivid dreams uh, with repeating kind of archetypal motifs. Um, and one of the symbols that continually came up in my dreams was the symbol of the greenhouse, which was really interesting because I had, I had been working at a greenhouse for, for six summers as a student. I just like loved, I loved being there. And this, the greenhouse kept coming up in my dreams. Uh, as part of my healing through the Jungian analysis, I started spending a lot of time outside in nature, um, countless, countless hours spent on the Hamilton waterfront with my journal, just writing down observations about my dreams, about periods of my life, about what was happening internally, about what I, what I wanted for my life, about who I was, 
about what it means to be a father, about all of these things. And slowly over time, through the help of my therapist, but also through the help of, of nature kind of reflecting things back to me and through these kind of like internal whispers and external whispers, just hearing, hearing messages about who I really am, I started to heal and started to integrate back into something new. And I just want to, I want to share a poem uh, by one of my favorite poets that, that captures a little bit about what I was feeling at that time. So the poem's called The Journey by David White. Above the mountains, the geese turn into the light again, painting their black silhouettes on an open sky. Sometimes everything has to be inscribed across the heavens so you can find the one line already written inside you. Sometimes it takes a great sky to find that first bright and indescribable wedge of freedom in your own heart. Sometimes with the bones of the black sticks left when the fire has gone out, someone has written something new in the ashes of your life. You are not leaving, even as the light fades quickly now. You are arriving. So emerging out of, out of you know, depending on how you look at it, this massive disintegration, this, this kind of journey towards wholeness, this individuation process, this clinical anxiety and depression, depends on how you conceptualize it. I got to this realization, like, I'm going to have to make some outer changes in my life to match this new self that is emerging. Uh, and this was extremely inconvenient, quite frankly. I had, at this point, I had two young children. There were financial pressures and also kind of, you know, gender norms, uh, societal pressures. You know, the man, you know, in the communities I grew up, the man is, is you know, supposed to be responsible and do the right thing and, and work hard and, and, and not be emotional, et cetera, et cetera. And here I am, all emotion, all passion, and feeling called to go back to school uh, to study spiritual care and psychotherapy. I was terrified you know, my, my more conscious self, I, I just knew I had to do it. I didn't feel like I had a choice. There was something driving me internally, but my ego self was still kind of feeling like, I, like, how am I going to do this? Like this, uh, people are not going to, they're going to judge me. I'm not going to be understood. And yet I had to do it. Um, and I did, I followed this thread that uh, I could, I could only see my, my partner, uh, my wife, uh, thankfully, she was very supportive and uh, she didn't understand what was happening, but she uh, she loved me so much that she said, no, you have to do this uh, no matter what. And so I followed that thread, which only I seemed to see at the time, which leads me into uh, a second poem uh, that I was hoping to share. And it's it's a poem called The Way It Is by William Stafford. There's a thread you follow. It goes among things that change but it doesn't change. People wonder about what you are pursuing. You have to explain to them about the thread, but it's hard for others to see. While you hold it, you can't get lost. Tragedies happen, people get hurt or die, and you suffer and get old. Nothing you can do can stop times unfolding. You don't ever let go of the thread. So I went back to school. I somehow managed to kind of uh, get together enough financial resources and, you know, things just kind of seemed to work out, uh, which it seems to me a, another thing about the nature of, of the way that, that 
at least in my experience, things work. And I've seen this in other people's lives too, where when you feel called to something or if you're pulled in a certain direction, oftentimes the world meets us halfway and the, and the world kind of wants to facilitate that for us. And I really felt this powerful force of, if you follow, you will be held and you will be supported. Little did I know that I would discover another very interesting thing as I was studying psychotherapy. And that is when I discovered the field of eco-psychology. And eco-psychology to me was like the perfect, at the time it was like, okay, so here's my, here's, here's my love of the natural world and my, and my, um, my understanding of biology and ecology with my newfound passion for kind of personal growth and, and human psychology. And eco-psychology kind of brought the two together. It just felt like complete coherence. And so I, I felt another internal tug. It was this drive. I need to study this. I need to go into this. And I felt, again, like I kind of didn't have a choice. I, I have to pursue this. So I, I continued on in my studies. I finished my counseling degree. And I, I went into a second master's degree, a, a more academic kind of study, where I, I was looking at you know, how the mental health of university students is, is related to their relationship with nature. And it was a kind of a mixed method study. It was quite interesting. But then another kind of, you know, a little bit more of a minor crisis happened. It's like, you're not done yet. You have to keep on going. And so I went on to do a PhD. And as part of getting, getting into the PhD is when I really discovered and started delving into my own giftedness and understanding how, how being gifted has shaped my life, has, has probably in some ways, you know, I don't want to say like created some of my challenges, but definitely contributed to some of my challenges and that I needed to have a better understanding of this to move into my role as a, as a therapist uh, and counselor, where I felt called to work with um, creative, gifted and highly sensitive and uh, intense people uh, while bringing together, you know, eco-psychology and eco-therapy and marrying together that with, uh, with the understanding of giftedness. I finished my uh, PhD in 2019, so about three years ago. It was, you know, it was a powerful, uh, transformative experience again, in which I realized that the academic study of, of people, the academic study of, of ideas itself was a bit too limited for me. And that brings me kind of to the last three years or so of my life, uh, probably starting at age 35 and continuing on. Uh, today is where I'm going through another kind of, I say, a more subtle positive disintegration. Uh, and it's hard to find words to really name what's what's going on, but it's kind of like a psycho-spiritual integration or a bit of like a, a spiritual awakening. And it's been facilitated in, in very strange and unexpected ways. So um, there's two people who I came across um, and they actually had reached out to me to work with me uh, in a coaching capacity. And it ended up with both people that I ended up working with them and they ended up helping me uh, on my path. So uh, one of the people um, is, is a shamanistic practitioner uh, and she's very intuitive and, and kind of open to, to other realms. And she reflected kind of these, these more esoteric or spiritual facets of myself, which had never been reflected back before. And it's interesting going back to my kind of conservative religious upbringing is I had little glimmers and hints of uh, connecting with God or connecting with kind of the spiritual realm, but I never had the language 
or, and I never had a person to kind of come alongside me and explain to me that's what was happening for me. And so uh, over the past couple of years, you know, heightened, especially over the past six or seven months, um, she's been kind of helping me integrate these, these new facets of myself. Uh, and another person I came across uh, who had actually come, come to me for, for assistance, I ended up working with him as well. Uh, although by day, he's, uh, he's a, I think he's like a, a computer programmer, systems analyst. Um, he's also profoundly gifted and has this amazing energetic sensitivity. And he's been teaching me uh, energy work practices and, and ways of tuning into, into more subtle aspects of, of human experience, which has allowed me as an individual to really manage my own kind of intensities and sensitivities. Because a lot of the time, and I didn't realize this until relatively recently, is I'm picking up on information and energy from other people and I'm picking up energy from ideas. And, and I'm so sensitive that it just kind of comes on to me. And without these, these practices, uh, I often felt like I would, I would kind of get trapped in absorbing all of these things with kind of the shamanistic work combined with these energy work practices. I'm really starting to to feel, well, quite frankly, like a sense of a sense of groundedness and peace, and a sense of at homeness in myself, and a sense of at homeness in the world that I didn't think was possible. So to to kind of put it in in you know Dabrowski's ideas of of like the different levels, level four, you know, I think I have hints sometimes of level five, although I'm very um, I, I, I definitely do not feel worthy of, of that, that idea. And, but nevertheless, I get these moments of kind of just like profound acceptance of peace of what, like what I'm here for as a person. And despite all the things happening in the world and all the, all the dysfunction, all the, you know, the climate, un- the uncertainty around the climate, the uncertainty with, you know, escalating geopolitical conflict, even amidst all of those storms, there's just a sense of like, but don't forget, like, don't forget why you're here, Eric. And don't forget, don't forget to be grounded in your body. And don't forget that the things that you're doing on a daily basis, whether, whether that's my work with clients or the intentions that I'm setting in, in my relationships, that every decision that I'm making, when it's in line with, with what resonates deeply in, in, my, in my heart and in my soul, when I'm making those decisions, it's having a, an effect on the collective in ways you can't imagine. I used to often feel like I'm not making a big enough contribution or there's these expectations that I have to, I have to be something. I have to use these, these gifts and these abilities to, you know, for the greatest possible impact. And, and what I'm learning is that sometimes the greatest possible impact comes from just listening to the still inner voice within you and living from that place. Is that to say that I'm uh, I'm always at complete peace about about that? Well, well, no. I'm a, I'm a complex, multifaceted person, um, and yet there's this home to come back to. There's this inner nature to come back to, and you know when I go back and I and I look at my 25 year old self or my 15 year old self, I think, man, you you had no idea like what was ahead of you. You had no idea that all of the constriction and and the and the suffering. And the misunderstanding that was necessary in order that you can become the person you are today. 
and that you can now walk a lot alongside other people who are going through periods of major life transition or, or disintegration. So I have a, a sense of, despite all of all of the pain and despite all of the suffering, I have a sense now of it's okay. For some reason, this had to happen this way. In some ways, in some reason, I chose these things so that I could learn lessons that I could then share with others. Wow. That was really powerful, Eric. Thank you so much for sharing yourself and just, you know, being vulnerable with us like that and being so candid and honest. Well, yeah, absolutely. And, and thank you for holding the space. And uh, yeah, I'm not actually, words probably uh, are not sufficient, but, uh, but thank you. I feel the same way. I mean, it's really beautiful. And honestly, I hardly know where to start in following up. There's so much here. But, you know, one thing that I, I wanted to ask you about, just mm-hmm. kind of, I think it must have been a conversation you were having with Jen from Intergifted where I heard you talk about, you know, your daughter's birth and, mm-hmm. um, you know, that experience. And I'd like to hear more about your work with gifted adults and how this, not just Dabrowski's theory, but all of these things that you're, you've learned about and you've experienced and that you're still learning about. Yes. Um, how it informs your work with them. So, I mean, it's complicated, <laughs> quite frankly. I work with a whole variety of different types of people, but often, you know, people who, who have a certain level of intensity and, and, and complexity and drive, and they don't, don't fit into, they don't fit into any boxes often. And because of that, they've also suffered a lot often. Um, whether that kind of manifests as, as similar to my story in which, you know, kind of masking and then having to kind of come back to yourself later on or other for other people, it's they've held onto themselves the whole time and suffered tremendous trauma because of that, of, of rejection or, uh, or, or self-abuse and things like that. My, in my work with clients, I, I work very, you know, very holistically and eclectically because everybody's unique and everybody's complex. And the second, and this is, I guess, kind of like my internal way of looking at it, but the second I adhere to a particular conceptual framework or I start having, I start, I guess, turning on to my mind of like trying to figure out a problem or to put, put something into a box, um, almost always that, that's a horrible thing to do. Uh, at least in my clinical uh, judgment and working with, with, you know, very complex and, and uh, quite frankly, fascinating and interesting people. And so what I've learned, and, and this is partly from my own experience uh, as an individual in therapy, but also, you know, in working with a lot of clients now at this point, is I, I try not to put any boxes on things. I try to keep, I try to bring myself, bring my presence, bring an openness to meeting with another human being without any of the clinical labels, without any of, you know, any of these boxes that, that are so easy to kind of quickly jump to, whether that's, you know, to ease my own anxiety of uncertainty or to kind of provide some simplistic explanation to a person. So the first, the first way that I often start is, it's just holding that open space. And in holding that open space and holding that kind of that energy of acceptance of, of the whole person, that's when that's when transformation seems to happen. You know, a person will begin kind of bringing things up that they weren't even conscious of. Conversation will go in areas that we had, we, you know, at the start of the session, we would have never imagined. And if I had followed a more structured route, we probably would have cut off. You know, people come to see me for a whole variety of different of different challenges. 
but you know a regular theme is you know is people who uh, are dealing with similar struggles to what I dealt with in, in that they didn't really fit into conventional systems. They either kind of masked themselves or they, they held onto themselves and, and faced trauma. And they're trying to figure out how the heck do I figure out like who I am or how the heck do I, do I navigate this world? How do I make sense of things? How do I, how do I find belonging? How do I find community? Yeah. And I guess, I mean, it's, it's really even hard to, to put into words kind of what happens, but in, I ask a lot of questions of my clients. So, you know, a person may come in with an assumption about themselves or about what their problem is, and, and they'll ask questions because oftentimes our, our surface level or conceptual understanding of something is actually masking a much deeper, complex network of things. And so I ask questions and I mirror back, I mirror back what I sense in a person. Um, and this is something that I've, I've always seemed to be able to do. But even even as even as like a young child, my parents said, like, I just sit, I just sit there and like apparently just like observing everything and taking everything in and kind of just like in, in this, it, it would make people uncomfortable because I just I just seem to like see into people. Uh, and as I've as I've continued to kind of develop those uh, develop that kind of ability or that skill in, in some ways, I can I can sometimes get a sense of of a person's true self or their, their inner nature. And again, like how, I don't know what exactly is happening there. Is it intuition? Am I tuning into some kind of like energetic sense? But I, I get, I get these like little glimpses, these little messages. Uh, sometimes it's a felt sense in my body. Sometimes it's more of like an, an audible kind of message of like, Oh, like this happened to this person, uh, you know, when they were this age or uh, this person's inner child is, is just is screaming and feels and feels alone and does not trust the adult self. Sometimes I'll get a, I'll get a glimpse of, of where a person might be headed in the future. And so I ask questions and I reflect back some of these messages that I, that I seem to get. And it just, it sparks this dialogue and this conversation uh, and things just start to kind of mysteriously and, and somewhat magically kind of happen. And, and a person's sense of self or their, their identity seems to start just kind of naturally shifting a, a client that I'm seeing uh, I, I had been seeing him for about two years now. From the get-go, I sensed that there was this inner tension in, in, inside of, uh, of this person. And I would ask questions and I would kind of bring, you know, make the unconscious conscious. And he resisted. He didn't, he didn't you know, he didn't resonate with what I was saying. And, and yet I still felt like it kept on coming back for me intuitively. And, you know, just recently life has thrown him a bit of a curveball and he's he's going through kind of the dark night of the soul or or the a positive disintegration and and suddenly you know he he came to our most recent conversation in tears showing this raw emotion he's never shown before um and it you know in in my in my mind i'm like oh thank god that you know as much as this really hurts right now we, you know, now, now you can start building something that's actually meaningful and authentic for you. And so he's, he's thinking about, um, about moving to a, to another location and getting a bit of a fresh start. And, you know, I, I kind of sensed, I sensed this happening at, at some point and I, and I, I had to kind of hold, hold a bit of attention as, as, as the therapist. And yet, 
you know, trusting my intuition and allowing things to kind of just flow naturally. The timing of when something is right to do and, and when an event is, is to happen, is that's not within my control, which, you know, in some ways allows me as a practitioner not to have to hold too much personally. I'm, I, I'm allowed, I can kind of, you know, resonate with things and, and see patterns, but I don't have to solve the problem. That's not my job. Yeah, so oftentimes... Um, when people come to me in a period of like deep crisis or, you know, a major life transition, a broken relationship, uh, a sense of lost identity, I don't see that through a pathological lens. I almost always see it as an opportunity, an opportunity for growth. You know, that's not to say that sometimes people, you know, sometimes a person's not, you know, struggling with, you know, clinical symptoms or might benefit from medication or, or other things by all means, like multiple things can be happening concurrently, but, you know, getting to work with people at that kind of that deep existential level of, of, of self, you know, and, and seeing people through our conversations, you know, come to a place of, of more coherence and wholeness is just, I mean, it's absolute, it's absolutely priceless. I mean, it's just such a meaningful, uh, meaningful vocation that I have. And so, so just jumping back to this, this greenhouse idea. So I worked in a greenhouse in my teenage years. It was this, this amazing home to me. Then this greenhouse, this imagery of greenhouse kept on coming up in my dreams for nearly a decade. And what I now come to kind of understand is I'm kind of a greenhouse for people. So, so what does a greenhouse do? Well, a greenhouse is kind of its own little subsystem within a wider system. So you have, you know, the wider atmosphere, the, the, the elements of, of nature, and, and then in the greenhouse, things are a little bit more controlled. The, the settings, you know, what the greenhouse is providing, you know, a place with the optimal conditions to grow. I'm not causing the growth. You know, as, as a greenhouse, I'm, I'm not causing the growth. I'm just providing a, providing a setting where you know, the, the ideal temperature, you know, can be reached. There's enough nutrients and water kind of being, being given to the, given to the plants, you know, and the, and the sunshine of the spirits kind of coming through the glass, you know, it, it, it just feels so right. That is what I'm here to do. I'm here to be a place where other people can find refuge and can grow into what is most authentic for them. I'm not creating that change, but I, I provide the conditions for that to happen. I love that. That is, mm. to my mind, an ideal way to look at what you do. I mean, it's so true. And I've sort of tried to think about that recently. I wonder, I feel sort of similarly like, well, I mean, I, there were a lot of areas of what you've talked about in this episode that I could mm. relate to, but the thread is one thing where... Mm especially like I have felt this so powerfully over the past several years. Like, what am I going to do with the theory? How am I going to mm. take this information and help people? And I know that I'm kind of a conduit for knowledge, you know, like I've mm -hmm. done this work of studying it and it's not that I want to teach people about it, but I just want to help them access Dabrowski's ideas and his thinking and his students and, just be somebody who can help. And of course the podcast is helping us and it's letting us have these amazing conversations with people like you, hmm. but yeah, I mean, just there's so much richness to what you've shared with us in this episode. I'm really grateful. Similarly, I'm thinking 
about the thread, you know, sometimes, because sometimes it's a very scary place when you don't know where that thread's going or you can't see. Like, you know, you're following your path. It's just a dark path and you can't, you can't see any more than a couple of metres ahead. So I'm assuming part of what you do, Eric, with helping people follow that is, you know, helping them overcome their fear of that. Um, but the other thing that jumped out at me was yes. um, the spiritual element, because I know for Dabrowski that was an important part, but I think sometimes when particularly when people are very intellectual, they struggle to get in touch with that aspect of self mm-hmm. and they sort of struggle with the very idea of, you know, having a spiritual side or having a spiritual nature or, or what importance that might play in their life. Yeah, and you know, increasingly on, you know, on my own journey, but also in, you know, my, my work with clients and my thinking about the world is, is that spiritual aspect of human experience is just absolutely vital, particularly given that, you know, given, you know, the compounding crises that, that we're dealing with collectively. And and some of us are dealing with, you know, quite frankly, personally as well. Well, you mentioned, you know, following, following the thread, and how sometimes you can only see like a couple of feet ahead of you and, or you see that next door that you have to go through. But, you know, I mean, it's, it's sometimes it's terrifying and there's fear and trembling, you know, and for a lot of, a lot of my own life, it's often felt that way of kind of like, you just have to do this next thing. And then something else comes along and kind of leads me to that next, yeah, that next kind of like aspect of, of the path or the next aspect of the thread. But, but as I've, as I've been kind of developing these, these more spiritual aspects of, of my nature, what I've recognized is that I've never been alone. And from an existential standpoint, the, the, it, it provide, it provides me with such a, a sense of, of grounding and at homeness. And so, so what do I mean by like, by not being alone? I mean, that's a little bit cryptic, I guess, in, in some ways, but, and, and quite frankly, you know, I'm a little bit self-conscious about sharing some of this because, you know, I've been part of a lot of intellectual communities and, um, you know, there's, there's other elements to my own kind of faith experience and, and such where some of the things that I'm experiencing and, and now talking about would have quite frankly gotten me ostracized and or burned at the stake at some period. And perhaps I was burned at the stake at a previous life. That's, that's potentially true as well. But I now know that I'm not alone. And so, so, so what do I mean by that? So on the one hand, my, my grandfather is always with me. Um, so my paternal grandfather, my, my father's father, I never met him. He died in 1980 and I was born in 1983, but I've always felt a powerful connection with him. Uh, I remember in grade eight, walking in the, in kind of the, the back field at my school, the, the sun shining down on me and having this strong sense of like, my grandfather smiling down on me and at that time I kind of like I quickly kind of put it away or or uh like there was no place for that kind of those kinds of experiences especially in a conservative Christian setting but now but now uh, he's with me all of all of the time he's he's kind of like yeah he's looking out for me he wants the best for me he loves me unconditionally um, and I've encountered other kind of helping guides as well that, that are kind of looking out for me. And if I, if I need guidance, and this is the amazing thing about, about developing some of these spiritual capacities, I actually, I actually can find guidance within myself. Um, well, it's, it's outside of myself, but it's ultimately within myself by, by asking, asking for, for guidance from um, these, these various helping spirits. So I, I no longer feel... 
a sense of kind of being like this separate individual uh, making meaning of the world, having nothing existentially to kind of to stand on because I could deconstruct everything. Everything was most of the things I grew up with or most of the things out there for me, they just weren't satisfying. They weren't undergirding and holistic enough. And now I'm, I have these experiences, which I doubted like for many months, but I kept on having these experiences where I'm kind of being shown what I need to do in a situation. If I'm feeling lost, I can ask for help. And the amount of the amount of comfort that comes from that, particularly when things are so kind of unstable in, in the world around us, is a tremendous gift. And I'm I'm really interested in helping my clients develop those capacities for themselves. You know, as as part of kind of an empowerment of the client as well as is like, you know, the therapeutic relationship is is a, is a wonderful nexus of of closeness and companionship, but you know, when a person can, can truly tune into their own kind of spiritual knowing and where they're needing to go and develop that sense of agency and trust in themselves and in and, and their helpers, that to me, I mean, I mean, it's just the most, I think, incredible gift that, that somebody can, um, can, can get and, and then can develop. My next question for you is that I want to ask you if you're going to submit to the Congress, because I sure <laughs> hope that I sure hope that you're going to share this stuff with us at the Dabrowski Congress, because, whoa, what an excellent session that would be. So uh, I'm definitely considering doing that, um, whether that's kind of in person or uh, virtually. Although, I mean, and, and this, this might be part of my own self-consciousness or, you know, I feel like some of the stuff's stretching. It's, it's a bit stretching and um, challenging, you know, and, and it, you know, definitely love to share, but want to make it, let's say digestible and not too far out there um, say for your average of whatever that would mean your average Dabrowski Dabrowskian lover let's just say um, but I you know I very much appreciate the encouragement um, so a little bit of a question mark uh, at this point that's fair we'll let you have the question mark but I want you to know that I <laughs> personally I mean, yes. I love the idea of stretching and challenging. And also, I just, I know now that I'm working with clients, how desperately we need people who have some experience working with gifted clients from these frameworks to share and kind of offer perspectives on how this work looks and how it is for you. And so I just, I think that we need to come together more in a community of clinicians mm-hmm. or coaches and just kind of develop this practice or, you know, create places where we can talk about this work beyond gifted education and saying and NAGC. And, you know, this mm-hmm. is just, it's a special kind of opportunity that we only have every couple of years. So, but yeah, I mean, no pressure, maybe a little pressure. Well, well you know, they're, they're, <laughs> There's the external pressure that, you know, and, and, as, and I, I completely agree with you, quite frankly. And then, and then there's also the internal pressure of, of the thread that I'm kind of forced to follow. Yeah. So I guess we'll, we'll, we'll definitely, uh, I'm going to kind of consciously, consciously put it on the shelf uh, for this moment, but uh, I will, I will sit with that and, and let it percolate, you know, but as you're talking intuitively, it's just like, damn, damn. Okay. I see. I'm going to throw my highly uneducated two cents worth on this. Um, hmm. 
why not? Um, when you don't know what you're talking about, you might as well go for gold, right? Um, yeah, sure. I, I think you'd be, like, you would be surprised. You were talking before about how people mask aspects of themselves. Mm. And you would be surprised how many people probably sitting there listening to this with maybe their own spiritual experiences sitting on that, not telling anyone about it, and it might resonate with them anyway, even though on the surface you, you'd never think it would. Yeah. Um, and, and the other thing that I was thinking about is you were talking about, you know, you not being alone. And, mm-hmm. you, I mean, that's an experience that's applicable to yourself, but even from um, I did a blog post recently about how if you're going mm. through disintegration, you'll never walk alone anyway because previously or even right now there are other people going through this mm. experience so even while you like you're alone in the storm um you're actually not um you've talked about the thread and chris is talking about following her own thread and her own path which is a very academic like logical path and she knows she's got things to do but perhaps there's opportunities that are going to fall on her plate that she doesn't see coming and she just needs to be open to those so there's maybe applicability to those things at different levels, and we know Dabrowski loves levels, um, mm-hmm. and there might be people resonating with these things in secret on their own terms. Again, like uh, resonant, compelling, uh, I think you're absolutely right. My ego says, I'm going to think about it. But, uh, I, yeah, I, I'm having uh, – There's, I mean, there's no, there's no counter argument whatsoever. Gauntlets are being thrown down. <laughs> the gauntlets have been thrown down internally and externally. I can't escape now. Yeah. And so as I'm kind of, you know, developing these kind of spiritual aspects of myself, like I'm, um, I'm actually working with, uh, with that person, the, the energy work practitioner who's by, by, by night and uh, computer programmer by day. And, and we're actually, we're working in a book together uh, where we're tying together psycho, well, quite, quite frankly, we're tying together like more conventional psychotherapeutic insights into, uh, you know, working with people with energy work insights. Uh, to create a more holistic picture, more holistic possibilities in in working with clients. So kind of bringing that spiritual into the more kind of psychotherapeutic uh, sphere, which, you know, in in itself is a bit of stretching and and stretching and growing for uh, for the field. But it's amazing in, in working with clients and even having energy work healings done on me, for example, how quickly things can shift for people. Um, and I think it's just really important to highlight that because psychology, psychotherapy, it, it can be a very powerful tool. But what I'm finding is when you're working with really highly, very highly sensitive people who, who I would describe as also very energetically sensitive, helping them develop the tools and practices to manage those aspects of their experience and of themselves can create outcomes and not that it's about speed of transformation. I mean, that's, that's not at all what it's fundamentally about, but can create quality of life and outcomes, which it would have taken from a more conventional kind of psychotherapy. It would have taken probably months, months, if not years. And so I see kind of expanding, expanding how we look at humans, how we look at human suffering and again, like taking a more holistic perspective and using some of these tools, which, which, you know, when we think about the chakra system or auras or uh, shamanistic kind of practitioner kind of work, which, you know, shamanism is the, the most ancient kind of cultural slash religious practice that, that seems to have been present across cultures for, you know, tens of thousands of years. 
being able to kind of, you know, work with some of these, these tools that have been present but have been lost uh, is a necessary part, I think, of both individual change and transformation as well as cultural change and transformation. You know, I realize these are, these are complex things and there's, there's, there's issues that I wrestle with, things like cultural appropriation and these other things that, that have to be mindful of. But there's something very human there's something very human about about these tools and it's been lost it's been lost in you know contemporary western societies and i think helping people connect to these these other realms or connecting to these other aspects of themselves is an absolutely vital if not somewhat hidden aspect of the transformation that that we're going through uh, collectively so with all that said, um, I guess I got to present it to Broski, right? Um, damn. Okay. That's right. And I'm looking forward <laughs> to your book. It sounds fascinating. Yes. I can't wait to read that. It, it's amazing. Um, and, you know, in doing those practices, it's it's really been quite transformative for me and in and, and teaching some of my clients to, to work with some of these practices as well. Um, it's given them some agency you know, some agency in their life where, you know, being so sensitive or so permeable to, to, you know, other people's or other places kind of energy. Like, I mean, I'm sure you see this too, Chris, in your, in your work with, uh, uh, with gifted folks, like not all gifted folks, but a lot of gifted folks are just so permeable and, you know, working with things on an, on an energetic kind of level shifts some of the psychological stuff in a way that, you know, just setting boundaries doesn't seem to, to do in the same, um, in, I guess, the same efficacy. Um, so I'm really excited to kind of see, yeah, to see how this kind of marriage between, uh, you know, the psychological and the spiritual kind of continues on. And, um, you know, uh, what I've kind of been been shown is like, that's, that's something that I'm here to do. Uh, and is it easy? Is it, is it always fun? Um, well, oftentimes actually it is quite fun, but it's sometimes extremely difficult um, and, and quite scary. And yet, if I follow the thread, I can't get lost. You can't, once you, once you start following that thread, it gets harder and harder to let go. If I follow the thread, I can't get lost. I love that. So one of so one of the things that I, I often do in my, my work with people, and um, we, didn't, we didn't get to a whole lot of depth about it, um, with you know due to time and stuff but like working with nature and I talk about you know inner nature I talk about like a person's true self or soul or spirit or you know it's kind of that it's related to the third factor of the self-determination um, I help people kind of connect with their inner nature often through helping them connect with outer nature the outer natural world and there's this reciprocal this lovely reciprocal connection between being connected with nature and, and it reflecting back aspects of yourself and, you know, and in connecting with nature also like wanting to care for nature. Like there's this wonderful reciprocity in, in that relationship. And then I've kind of discovered this, uh, what I call this, like this third nature. And this is related to some of the energy work. And uh, I call it kind of like fundamental consciousness, like the, the, the energy that kind of ties together everything, the fabric of the universe. And it seems at least somewhat satisfying to me that, I think that's what I'm tuning into sometimes when I'm able to see into, into people and into their experience 
uh, in a in a very deep way is I'm I'm kind of tuning into this this, this fundamental interconnectedness this this web of information yeah and I'm I'm picking up on kind of little rhythms or textures in that in that realm and you know when we look at when we look at the natural world there's just there's countless examples of you know positive disintegration you know there's there's you know the the caterpillar to the butterfly the transformation or you think of like the a, the acorn to the oak tree like there's there's so many examples of um of these these shifts you know changes in form but kind of self-determination and and self-drivenness to become what one is capable of being what one is meant to be so uh this poem uh it's written by janine marie hogan who is uh the partner of bill plotkin who's a who's a writer on kind of nature and psychology who has really been a light unto my path. And um, her poem is called The Return. Someday, if you are lucky, you'll return from a thunderous journey, trailing snake scales, wing fragments, and the musk of earth and moon. Eyes will examine you for signs of damage or change. And you too will wonder if your skin shows traces of fur or leaves if thrushes have built a nest in your hair, if Andromeda burns from your eyes. Do not be surprised by prickly questions from those who barely inhabit their own fleeting lives, who barely taste their own possibility, who barely dream. If your hands are empty, treasureless, if your toes have not grown claws, if your obedient voice has not become a wild cry, a howl, you will reassure them. We warned you, they might declare, there is nothing else, no point, no meaning, no mystery at all, just this frantic waiting to die. And yet they tremble mute, afraid that you've returned without sweet elixir for unspeakable thirst, without fluid dance or holy language to teach them without a compass bearing to a forgotten border where no one crosses without weeping for the terrible beauty of galaxies and granite and bone. They tremble, hoping your lips hold a secret, that the song your body now sings will redeem them. Yet they, fe they fear your secret is dangerous, shattering, and once it flies from your astonished mouth, they, like you, must disintegrate before unfolding tremulous wings. Perfect. That's, what an excellent way to end this episode. Thank you. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Um, and poetry often just has a way of conveying things, uh, again, like in ways that, that more conventional language and form uh, often miss. Uh, and so I'm, I'm grateful for, uh, for poets and, and poetry. Yes, me too. That was a fantastic note to end this on, Eric. Thanks very much. And thank you for coming on the podcast as well. It's been very insightful. Um, and thanks for sharing your story as well. Yeah, thanks again for having me and, yeah, for the opportunity to share. And, um, yeah, I hope it's uh, it's meaningful for, for the community and, um, yeah, maybe plant some seeds uh, that, weren't conscious uh, before. And that will one day grow from acorns into trees. And thank you too, Chris, 
for being on the podcast as well. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Grateful. It's a great episode. And listeners, thank you to you too for joining us for this episode. If you've got any questions, feedback, or any other topics or anything you want to raise, you can get in contact with us. You can email us at positivedisintegration.pod at gmail.com or you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram. And until next time, keep walking the path to your authentic self.